so worth mentioning to everybody thank you for bearing with us for 30 episodes roman has a microphone now so if at any point you brave listener have heard a strange whistling like that was just uh, it was roman throwing justin under the bridge it was, it was um, my electric heart it was the shortcoming of the iPod headphones and Roman's gorgeous, gorgeous face. And hopefully that'll never happen again. So thank you for getting this far with us about that. And I'm very excited to no longer be building a file on my computer, literally titled Roman's Nose, that has upwards of 30 <laughs> audio files of what sounds like Sonic revving up for a brave, brave adventure. That's right, Batman and Robin. Those are both great impersonations of it. Gentlemen, gentlemen, listen. Gentle Batman. Gentle Batman. Episode 30, Batman in Quarantine. Three buddies, one Zoom call. And it's worth mentioning that right now, much like, you know, Joseph Gordon-Levitt at the end of Dark Knight Rises, I have found the dusty remnants of what was once the Papcast recording studio. And I am currently recording from the room where we recorded 150 or so weekly podcasts here at the comic shop. So I'm feeling very exploratory. Yeah, as always, that's Jeff. I am Justin, and I don't have a bullshit preloaded line to say, so this is an introduction. Yeah, and I'm, I'm Roman, and I also don't have a bullshit. Oh, well, mix it up. I'm Roman. Yo, 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 bats. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. Batman and Robin, number four, red right hand, Grant Morrison, Philip Tan, covered by Frank Quitely. Thank God we don't have to listen to Jeff just talk about how sensual Frank Quitely's art is for another, you know, three-issue arc. Mm-hmm. This, is, this art is a little less sensual <laughs> than my... Yeah, the fight against crime grows up, and so does the sensuality grows down, goes down. You know, age often does that. With it, there's an inverse <laughs> yeah, direct yeah. correlation between age and sensuality. Unless yeah. you were like Justin and I, and you find some sort of solace and hiding in the bosom of a bearded man who is twice our age, almost. Uh, Roman, that was you. I was being. I was talking about you there. Oh, oh, I was wondering who. Roman is like the weird Benjamin Button of sensuality. He gets more sensual <laughs> as as he gets older but he also seems to get more youthful as well it's true yeah wait didn't that movie end badly i never saw it <laughs> it didn't end badly you're gonna be fine it's all good oh. i mean I, I assumed he like reduced to a baby and then disappeared into nothingness it's probably something like that i actually don't remember that who directed that christopher nolan i don't know no, no. who did it uh nolan. ron howard Oh, you're probably right. You're probably long right. kind of historical, quasi-historical Spielberg, period. Yeah. yeah, or like uh, Scorsese. This is an emotional movie. <laughs> so in this issue, we are picking up where the previous one left off. It's a new week. It's a new arc. Three issue story arcs in Batman and Robin. 
incredibly excited for some of the stuff that happens later on. Although I was sort of stunned in this first issue of this arc with actually how much was put on the table in it for an issue that does kind of just seem like, hey, we're out kicking some butts, but they, a lot of things are brought to the table. But it really is primarily we're hanging out with the Red Hood and Scarlet, who we believe is Jason Todd, and Scarlet is the masked Dolatron that had the defective mask from the previous arc that Robin failed to save. And they're just out trying to reinvent the war on crime, level it up. So they're just, in Jason Todd fashion, busting skulls, you know, hurting people, killing them if they got to, the criminals, but they are seemingly hunting down criminals. And in that issue, you know, the first sort of third of the issue is dealing with that. We have an interesting police gala on the roof where we meet Oberon Sexton. I cannot wait to talk to you guys about that. We have, we have Batman and Robin hanging out on a rooftop monitoring a crime lord meeting where we hear about El Penitente or the El Penitent. I'm sure El Roman Penitente. knows how to pronounce that. El we hear about yeah, how you did the first time. El Penitente? I think so. Yeah, okay. We hear about the Flamingo. And then we have Flamingo. Oh yeah, I know. I want to unpack Flamingo and the Prince connection with you. And then we get um, Dick and Damien sort of confronting Jason Todd and Scarlet in that crime scene, uh, in, in the crime boss meetup in that window there. So yeah, though, yeah. Though, though it's it's, I think of minor importance to the story that the reader doesn't know that it's Jason Todd. Until, That's a, yeah, you're right. Yeah, unless they were a really good guesser, but until Dick says first hears him speak and says Jason, I think it was a, it was a mystery about you're him. you're totally right. Even and I think it's the kind of thing that you could have made an assumption about if you were a well versed comic reader at the time. Mm. At the time, I had not read Under the Red Hood. I wasn't even super versed in the whole like. I think as you come to comics, Batman comics specifically. Uh, as an adult or if when you're a kid you're just reading comics but as an adult you kind of come to it from this top-down perspective of like wait 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 there was there's four robins and like that you know the child perspective is that there's batman and robin and it's not until for me as an adult i was like oh that's uh it's more complex than that so i was only kind of just in the understanding of the different robins when i was reading this the first time so you know, this probably caused me to then go back and learn more about Jason Todd because, yeah, I didn't know who the Red Hood was or why he was saying Jason. Yeah, and I can't remember if – I don't remember guessing that it was Jason Todd um, even though I – because I think they called that story under the Red Hood, that storyline retroactively because of the movie oh. that came out later. Because um, hmm. originally when he came back, I don't, I don't remember what that story was called. It's called Under the Red Hood. Is it? Is it? Yeah. Yeah, but I that thought was... it was named that – retroactively but maybe not maybe it's called under the hood yeah it might be under the hood i remember it having a formal because i was getting those issues on the stands as a kid my mom would drive me almost an hour to the everett mall so i could get those those issues that's like one of my favorite favorite runs um because those covers are amazing wasn't wasn't under the hood the backup story and watchmen or no that was the book that uh what's his name um was writing the old guy that Oh, fuck. <laughs> what was his name? Um, I just important. Googled it. it. It is Under the Hood, but oh. the movie was titled Under the Red Hood. Yeah. Hmm. And I was actually kind of curious. It 
it looks like that's happened that story by judd winnick that depicts the return of jason todd uh november 2005 to march 2006 was when that was being published and i was curious like what the because i in my mind it didn't feel like there had been a lot of touching on the return of jason todd between that and this story yeah, he he shows up after that arc as the Red Hood a little bit in Infinite Crisis and those tie-ins. He's in Nightwing, like he he makes an attack in Nightwing's story and dresses up as Nightwing, and he's running around with that same cool knife he had mm-hmm. um, for a while. And then he's in Battle of the Cow as like yep. crazy gun Batman, which is <laughs> like pretty similar. His whole ethos there, which you can kind of see. In towards the end of Red Hood, you know, under the Red Hood, he's pretty motivated just by revenge and placing the locus of blame on Batman, not Joker. But then he, in a confrontation with Batman, it's like crime can't be beaten. It has to be eliminated. Like you can't treat it. It has to be cured by elimination. Is that in the end of the Winnick run? Yeah. Like that's kind of a a position that he has throughout because, you know, he's just like killing mob bosses there. Mm -hmm. Um, and then you see, I think, kind of a progression into kind of in a twisted way, him seeing himself as a evolution of, of Batman. Mm-hmm. Like he's the gun Batman in Battle of, of the Cow, and, and then this he's taking on more of a superhero type role, where in Under the Red Hood he's just kind of a terrorist. Like he's just going into he's like a rival gang member. I think oh, so. All that led into this story mm-hmm. i think that i think okay. grant so morrison added DC Com- the- okay so if you're reading dc comics i guess it wasn't that much of a mystery who this red hood was no i was kind of pissed at this characterization initially by grant morrison because i thought it undid some of the cooler you know they make him a little um un- more unhinged here mm-hmm. and uh jason seemed so so fucked up and psychotic but so in control in those things like he had this clear plan you know he was on on the level of batman or, or close to like batman was pretty intimidated by him in this he's a little more juvenile in my opinion i really loved that winnick run as well and i i have always felt that everything that's been done with jason since then is kind of a bummer and i would say that this um is closer to that winnick stuff than a lot of the stuff that I don't like, which is the kind of the current Jason Todd, who's pretty much an anti-hero. Like he's he's yeah. out there being a hero. He's in hero DC books, but he's kind of a bad boy. I really like, I'm on record as saying this, I'm sure Justin has heard me say this a thousand times, but I really love Jason Todd as the greatest living failure of Batman. And I think that that gives him the actual emotional strength to be one of Batman's greatest villains or adversaries of all time, because he can be against other bad guys, but he'll never have the sense of like failure and responsibility and failed responsibility that he has for Jason and what ultimately happened to him. So I think to kind of put him back on the side and that, that that's stuff that's happened after this run, but sort of we're talking about the legacy of Jason Todd right now. And, and I really like him more as a villain and he's more of a villain in, in this run, but he's particularly more of a villain in that Judd Winnick under the hood run. Right. I mean, this comes back to kind of what I was saying about Damien and like when you take a character out of the context, like because they were their characters and properties and people want to see that red hood forever, you know, like now how does Batman justify a red hood who like in that Winnick run, 
he's throwing bags of decapitated heads at people. Like he <laughs> That's is... the scene I remember as well. Yeah, like he throws a bag of heads and it blows up. That's like he I... nuked Bloodhaven. Yeah. Like he oh god, he nuked Tomo... Bloodhaven. Yeah, he kicks a Tomo out of a helicopter above Bloodhaven and it destroys. <laughs> like he's killed thousands of people. He's a murderous, like on the level of the Joker bad guy. And now Batman's like, it's okay. And he has guns. I don't know how they justify the you like Batman. That's like Captain America and the Punisher getting along. In the in the world of comics, it just wouldn't happen. Like they yeah. would have to like yeah. this guy is killing people. You know, Batman would have to address that. I so. gotta put this guy in jail. I do like that Morrison's like, no, this guy's crazy. Like Jason Todd, he's he's nuts. He he kills people and he he's he's got this whole like savior complex thing. So I do I do like that conception of Jason. Jason though they they kind of throw some shade on bruce in, in this yeah it's issue. too bad that because this that, that conception you're describing sounds better i mean i'm sure in the modern anti-hero jason todd probably rebirth or something eliminated him being a mass murderer but okay. <laughs> which is too bad that's more I interesting agree. having him be the other way i agree um just before we get too into the meat here it's worth mentioning philip tan did the art in this and i think the most obvious shortcoming of that is that not that he's a bad artist he does fine it's a very like kind of grim and gritty art style in here kind of reminds me of like david finch or like a lot of shadows clenched jaws but he it feels to me like batman in the cape and cowl is drawn as bruce this whole time like he's just built physically like bruce his jaw is like bruce and coming off of quietly drawing like clearly a gymnast athlete you know trapeze artist as batman this was a little bit like okay he's put on like 25 pounds of muscle and he's kind of a brick shit house. he smiles some more but like it definitely if i were to look at a lot of these panels i would just assume it was bruce yeah yeah it's very like expressionless, you know, even his smile is just kind of an awkward, like crooked block of a head. Like kind of reminds me of Brian Hitch art, like the kind yeah. of flat. Yeah. Music. He's like a mix of Hitch and Finch. Yeah. Like <laughs> yeah. The... There's a scene where him and Damien, I think smile at each other, but I, I mean, Damien's giving a kind of a sly grin. I can't tell what, dick is doing i think i assume he's smiling maybe <laughs> yeah yeah it's interesting in the this is comprised of i think five four at least four three issues arcs and then maybe like the final three start changing artists or something but interesting to get every three issues the art turns over and have a different person it's kind of nice to get a you know a changing of tone in a cohesive way but there's definitely some that i prefer more than others i would put this probably in the bottom two rather than the top two yeah same it's it's gritty and stuff but that and that's like par for the course for batman it works well and this this like three issue arc is pretty gross and gritty i guess this whole thing is pretty gross and gritty but quietly's art is so bright and clear in so many ways that it's a really stark yeah contrast between the two and it doesn't quite feel like the tone that we just established of like brave new world for batman like yeah totally you know um, it seems a little aggressive in in the context of everything. Right. Um, so the, the first big several-page sequence is Red Hood and Scarlet showing up, ultimately killing this guy that they've been chasing through town that Robin and Batman are trying to adhere or apprehend, and he escapes, and Red Hood and Scarlet kill him, 
while Scarlett simultaneously does whatever the 2008 or nine equivalent of Twitter is. I guess Twitter was around back then, but is posting like at Scarlett. They're clearly trying to make the fact that they're killing criminals open to the media. They're advertising that this is going on. And what the way that they address that is that they are saying that they're reinventing the war on crime. And I do think that that's a really interesting thing that this three issue arc really focuses on, which is just the idea of like reinvention. And I'm sure our friend Cody Walker, the fourth member of the cast would support this somewhere. I didn't get a chance to check in with him today, but this idea of reinventing the war on crime, we have Jason Todd is the one who is showing up as the villain here against Dick Grayson. And there's this inherent, like, how do we fill the role of Batman? All of this is sort of built around these ideas of how do we push the idea of Batman forward, which it, it just seems to be like a, a thing that's a, a through line throughout sort of all of all of this particular three-issue arc. And even like down at the end when we find the criminals are like, yeah, they're dealing with the next generation of narcotics. Like everything is the next or everything is an evolution of. And it seems like that's kind of really the ideas that he's trying to play with right now, which is we've got the next Batman. So how do we make everything else kind of next? Right. I, I, I think that that is wonderfully said, Jeff. This whole thing is, you know, we're really dealing with a world where there was once Batman and then you take him out what, what does come in there and you have kind of two, two viable versions of it where it's like you have uh, a reinterpretation in a like lighter, nicer way of Batman and then like a darker, more harsh way. It's almost like, yeah, I, I think Dick Grayson is the new Testament to what Batman is to the old Testament. Like it's, it's a application of like mercy and kindness mm-hmm. and, and, this is also like the opposite of your like kind of a hyperinflation of what Batman is. Like, we're just going to wipe crime out. We're going to be really public about it. We're Bruce is secretive, you know, um, this is what happens to Batman when he's pushed or like, you know, someone very much like Batman, but a little crazier. So the, the following sequence is just two pages that take place on the rooftop of like a police debutante gala in Gotham but there we do have Dick and Damien in their normal person garb kind of doing Wayne Enterprise things. I just want to point out that in two panels, we do get a very definitive giant ice sculpture of a police badge. I'm curious, what do you guys think is the turnaround on ice sculpture that's standing outside? How long, how long does an ice sculpture last? Hmm. Yeah. Long time. You think yeah. so? Yeah. 16 well, hours. 16. Okay. So definitely enough time for a police gala. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Especially, yeah. you know, if I'm ice sculpture, I'm sure something like that, a big shield, it's thick. I mean, you can see the, you can see a little bit of the, um, not steam. What is it when ice is slowly gassing off? Vapor? Yeah. Um, Vaporing, transpiring, yeah, yeah, evaporating. Yeah, vapor coming off it, but. I think gassing yeah. off is the best term, though. <laughs> and yeah, we don't know what month this is, if it's, oh, it must be. Oh, it must be summer or spring. Having read Dark Knight Returns not too long ago, I'm under the assumption that Gotham is always super fucking hot. It's always super a heat wave. Super fucking hot and oppressive, or it's yeah. pouring down rain. Yeah. Or it's cool in winter in those mystical like, oh, annuals and stuff. No, well, annual, Chris's annuals. On this rooftop gala, though, we have, we meet an ex-policeman from the UK named Oberon Sexton, the grave digger, 
one of my favorite characters in this run. Justin and I have talked lots about him. Love it him. is a mystery as to who this character is. Roman, do you know who this character is as you're rereading this? And I don't want you to say if you do, but... Um, yeah, I know who it is. I don't okay. remember... Where, where does it say he's an ex-cop? He's an author. Yeah, he's um, an independent crime author. Yeah, Dick is introduced as being an ex-cop. Yeah, because Dick was once a cop. Okay, sorry, I thought he said Mr. Grayson's an ex-policeman himself, as to imply, like, in addition to yourself. No, he um, does, Gordon does say Oberon's... Um, a detective? No, just that criminals killed his wife and scarred his face, and that's why he wears this this cool all-over face mask. And I do something. love that, yeah. the yeah, he's uh, got a great look. He is yeah. an amazingly designed character. Well, he's like the English gravedigger author who, you know, digs up secrets about crime, but he's also Oberon, the, the fairy king. Right. Oh, okay, so he's, he's an author. Yeah. And fairies ruled over the dead in old folklore um, and, you know, lived in the realms of the dead. And in Shakespeare, there's a reference to oberon as a grave digger he's a grave digger character in hamlet so he's like got a morrison is so good at weaving other mythological lenses over character layers mm. over characters um, yeah and is and isn't sexton that's a specific like british uh profession right profession occupation title yeah i forget yeah i'm not is. sure i know that there is some significance to the lot as sexton as well you know what it is is a person who looks after a church and graveyard sometimes acting wow. as bell ringer and formally as a grave digger bell ringer bell ringer ringing the bell batman year one ringing the bell okay oh, i wish we had a i wish i had a bell here for sound effects we need fx but ringing in, you could ring the could bell of that. the new era Oh, getting it, unpacking it, taking loads, everybody, taking loads. But I, I think it is a great introduction. I think the art serves him really well there. While there are some shortcomings by Philip Tan, I think that the way he portrays Oberon Sexton there gives you all of the mystery and majesty that that character deserves because he really, I think the mystery of who is Oberon Sexton is one of the more fun parts of this whole run. Yeah, I, if I were to ever dress up as the Comic-Con character, like cosplay Oberon oh, Sexton. Good idea. <laughs> would be semi-achievable to do, and no one would know who he is at this. Well, very few people would know who he is at this point. Um, and he, he has a kind of mysterious, quizzical majesty to him that I love. So that's a huge thing that happens in this issue. We are introduced to Oberon Sexton. Another huge thing is that as Bruce Dick Batman, as he's drawn, and Damien are hanging out in the rain on a rooftop, they're looking down on, the, on, on a building through a window where there's a crime meeting happening. And we've just got like, just like a giant purple KKK member. Just like, I don't know how to describe his costume other than just like, it's pretty easy to identify anyone in a singular outfit with a hood like that as being a fucking shitty person so it's yeah. an easy what, yeah what's funny when i first and same thing when i first read this and and this morning when i read this i mean he looks like marvel's hate monger character oh he totally does that <laughs> yeah. he's even purple purple Kirby. everything yeah yeah except that character turned out to be hitler a clone of hitler i don't think cool. this is a clone of hitler this guy is like it kind of invokes the pope and then his name is a reference to a famous dance that has to do with the. Uh, well, we don't know this guy's name. I mean, he referred his boss is El Penitente. Oh, his boss is El Penitente. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
I don't think this guy, we, I don't think we get his name. No, he says my boss, Alphonse. You're correct. Um, guys, I forgot to share something that I learned today that I thought was interesting. Maybe you both already knew. The Red Hood character was first introduced in 1951 in Detective Comics 168. And it was the issue called The Man Behind the Red Hood. And even in that original issue, like ultimately Batman is like teaching a class at a college or something. He's teaching some young students and they're ready to like level up their detective skills. So he introduces them to this older case about the Red Hood where a guy, what is it? He ultimate, uh, uh, they catch this guy being the Red Hood, but he actually like tied up who the real Red Hood was and he was impersonating him. So he would take the blame or something. But even in that issue, when he, they find out that the guy that is being the Red Hood is not the real Red Hood, they credit the Red Hood as being the Joker's origin, even back in 1951. And maybe you guys knew that, but I erroneously thought that Alan Moore had tied those things together and created that this Red Hood character was originally the Joker. But that origin story has been in place for over 50, over 70, nearly 70 years now, which is um, very cool. And I didn't realize the, the internal consistency of the Red Hood character being tied to Joker until now. Yeah, I didn't know that it was originally his his like canon in continuity in issue origin story. Um, I did know that there is like there's the Red Hood, and then there's like there's always something about like the Red Hood is kind of a gang thing and killing joke. You know, he takes it from someone else, and right. Snyder Snyder plays on that too. Right. Yeah, I was, I was, I thought that was super interesting because you know, like if you, if Alan, in the same way that I do, kind of with Morrison, if Alan Moore is involved with something, I kind of just say all of those ideas were his because he's such an idea engine that yeah. um, it's, it's, it was tricky to remember that for me. But uh, that was me taking a step back. Thank you. We hear this, you know, essentially hate monger character talking about his boss, El Penitente, like you, you just said. But he also says that El Penitente is going to be sending the flamingo over. And we just get in this issue one shot of a pink airplane making its way towards Gotham. And the yeah, flamingo just, always makes me think of like just Roman if he snaps and starts listening to even more Prince. <laughs> and I love that this panel of the, this flamingo plane approaching Gotham there's a scream coming out but you don't know if it's a scream of pain of torture or a scream of like pleasure and dancing or what i can only assume a little bit of both i assumed it's it's flamingo and they're just being like (laughs) and he's just excited to come to gotham and start killing and what the listeners at home missed is once again roman doing this strange hand gesture spinning thing that he does that he thinks represents very sexual celebration or something but it is um it's roman in a in a prince music video ultimately the red hood and scarlet show up to the same crime meeting that batman and robin are sitting on they wreck the shit out of everybody they kill a bunch of the people there they're mean they're bullies (laughs) it's it's quite a bloody but well done uh take out of everybody (laughs) yeah and it seems like most people are dead except for the penguin because you can't kill the pengi and then that Batman and Robin. Huge nose. Dude. I've never seen the I, penguin drawn that way. I do yeah, like, he, yeah, I do like the way that, uh, I forgot his name, the artist. Um, Philip Tan. I do like the way Tan draws the Joker here. I mean, it's, it's 
very much like the Danny DeVito Joker, except even more horrible and monstrous. <laughs> this fucking guy anyway. calling the Penguin Joker. Um, but yeah, like, yeah, I totally that. agree. Uh, he he looks he looks amazing <laughs> like that the whole time. And I would say that while there are shortcomings in Tan's art, the, the way he draws the Penguin throughout this is fantastic. And it is. It's yeah. gory. It's bloody. Not at all. Uh, not at all a slouch when it comes to the art. It's just a different. It's a departure of the style. But we then get we hear you know red hood and scarlet say and that's when dick says jason I actually didn't really i didn't associate that with him hearing his voice when i was reading it this morning roman that's an awesome catch i'm sure justin caught that as well but he says something and that's when dick says jason because i was just assuming that everyone knows who the red hood is or whatever so he just knew it was jason from there but i think that it's an even more uh personal connection that he recognizes the voice and then the final shot is red hood saying what the punishment fit the crime which kind of plays in in the next issue and then we get these things that I love about this Batman and Robin issue, which is the three small preview panels at the bottom of each issue. I would spend so much time studying those after each after each episode or after each issue when they would come out a month away. Yeah. Do you guys know what they're, the, those three little panels, do you guys know what the third one is? No, I would love to be playing this game each week. The first yeah, one is, is Red Hood fighting Batman. Yeah. The second one is either penguins teeth or flamingo's teeth yeah and the third thing is a close-up of a grill maybe or a speaker i don't know what that is it looks like the grill of a truck i thought it might be um something on is it the ambulance that you see towards the end of the issue hmm possibly it's a a big red machine that that would make sense to me I'm sorry. I, I just had Roman offered us an idea that yeah. I can't. It's not super relevant, but I can't get out of my head that the original 1991 Batman movie would be very, very different if Danny DeVito is in fact <laughs> as the Joker. <laughs> I want that. Um, oh God! Yeah. Anyway, uh, moving on. Just like that scene where he has the big long gun that he shoots the bat mm-hmm. plane out of. How would he? Danny how would Danny DeVito? No, he couldn't do it. You'd have <laughs> to rewrite the movie. Yeah, there'd be all these outtakes where he's struggling with it and dropping it. Uh, that's like a normal person trying to unsheath Sephiroth's sword. Your arm yeah. is just not long enough to get no. that out of the sheath. <laughs> no, yeah, it'd be just yeah, it would fill up his whole pants. But you fill know. up tan his whole pants. Oh, oh bringing it all together, guys. What else do we have for this issue? We've ne- reached the end of it. Is there any other gems, gold mines, metaphors, strange uh, thought well, journeys we went on? I, you know, I I looked up uh, El Penitente. Me too. Oh, oh do you do you want to? I was no, just gonna, I was go just going to read the Wikipedia this little section of it, but if you. No, go ahead. I'd rather hear it in Justin's Malifluous Malifluous voice. Malifluous. Whatever. That word. Malifluous. <laughs> Malifluous, yeah. I just like the concept of a that because there are so many biblical parallels and that dance is about penance. And I don't know it. Someone, someone give me the juice. Someone give me the, what was the Wikipedia? Roman, um, hit it. Originally, it's a modern dance work. El Penitente is a modern dance work by Martha Graham um, from 1940. And the ballet's theme is taken from the penitente, I'm probably saying that right, religious traditions of the American Southwest in which believers expiate their sins through extreme penance, including mortification of the flesh. Its structure is derived from the mystery plays of the Middle Ages in which small groups of traveling performers reenact scenes from the Bible. 
Wow. And there's all the biblical parallels in this Batman run in general. You know, like I said, I think that this is the New Testament for Batman, where the last one was the Old Testament. Um, And there's the notion of the dance of death in the last one. Mm -hmm. And this one is the dance of penance. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're sins of the father. We're, we're doing penance for the things that he left open. Um, when you, when Batman leaves the world, you know, Dick Grayson is now paying for stepping into that role. There's a price to being God, Batman. You guys, I Wikipedia the wrong thing. I, I Wikipedia riddle of the corn dolly and got nothing. Oh. <laughs> which is what Oberon Sexton says at that dinner party. He says, Oh, we won't have time to finish the riddle of the corn dolly. And I was like, there's gotta be an answer there. And I yeah. looked it up and all I found was blog entries about this issue. So, Oh, well, I know that that, I think that is a real thing though. I think there is something about maybe not riddle of, but just corn dollies in like pagan. British. Uh, yeah. I was, I was finding yeah. corn dollies and paganism tied together, but yeah. I was hoping there was going to be a riddle that like opened up my eyes as to who was the person behind that mask. And, uh, well, maybe later on in this, in this ongoing series, we'll find out from Oberon about the riddle. I am so glad that you both Googled El Penitente. I also do want to mention one thing I forgot earlier is that as they bring up Flamingo, they refer to him as the eater of faces, which once again comes back to this. He's created a new villain and there's so much themed around masks and identity in this Dick Grayson thing, like faces as a mask. Scarlet has that mask. Dick Grayson is wearing Batman as a mask. Even red hoods wearing this red hood that he complains about in the following issue. There's so much that comes down to faces and identity and personality that I thought, uh, I, you know, it, it also is just easy to say that that dude eats faces and that's disgusting. So maybe it is just that, but I think there is a lot to mine with just sort of, there's a construct or a metaphor, a conversation being had about faces and identity throughout all of this, that I think is really interesting. Right. And I think that he's like very specifically named the flamingo because a flamingo is an, an animal that changes color based on what it eats and it oh. eats shrimp and that's why it's pink so he is this like amalgamation he has really no identity under him because he's just eating other people and eating their faces and their personas and so he's kind of this disgusting you know and when we later get into his origin story he's kind of just this soulless entity of death and you know he's the one they call him the one who eats faces so i can't wait i forget his origins i'm very excited to get to that remember it either one thing I, the one thing I thought was funny about this issue um, is what's her name? Scarlet. Mm-hmm. And I think when she's, when she's uh, tweeting or whatever she's doing, her uh, TikToking, TikToking, her, her TikTok name, um, Scarlet Traces. I think, oh, that's yeah, a ref- yeah. I think that's a reference to Ian Ed- Ed- Edington's um, Scarlet Traces series, miniseries from Dark Horse, Britain in the, obviously yeah yeah the, <laughs> i'm sorry was, i've never heard of it oh it was an alternate history comic book series um that involved like it was basically what if the mars from war of the worlds had conquered earth and hmm. it's set in that timeline but interesting but, but what i thought was funny about scarlet is she's what's her name that the mask didn't she wasn't turned into a doll trying by pig's mask but she was affected enough that she killed her own father Mm-hmm. So she's this traumatized girl. We don't know anything else about her. And I was like, how is she jumping all, doing all this athletic crap 
with the red hood jumping off rooftops and stuff. I mean, who is this? How did she well, know all this? <laughs> we didn't we didn't throw any shade on Carrie Kelly when she was figuring it out. Didn't Batman train her? No, she's like she just jumping off buildings and climbing stuff, and then she finds Batman. Oh, okay. What, and what there's she... some good internal monologue about her being like, "Okay, if I don't make this jump, I'm gonna die." Like it, it does sort oh, yeah. of reflect like oh i'm not a superhero but yeah i'm sure with scarlet it's just she throws herself into it because you know she's crazy now yeah no for sure and there's a little bit uh that touches on that in the, in the next issue i do just want to mention that i got a message from a listener uh, of the show as we were recording this will elmer who just said i just finished r.i.p last night and i just have to say fuck yeah so <laughs> Will right. Elmer, excited for you oh, to unpack yeah. that a little bit more. Get us an email, get us a voicemail, something. I'm sure you will by the time this one is aired. But all right, everybody, I think for episode 30, you know, the third decade that we begin of this podcast, I think that's probably everything. Yeah, this, you know, this is, uh, there's always with Morrison little <clears throat> secret hints and nods and things, but this is mainly just some badass violence. You badass know? violence and putting putting things on the table to not immediately be played off of, but like he does set the table here in a way that uh, I didn't, I didn't in thinking about this issue before reading it, I didn't realize that as much happens in it, that kind of comes to fruition later on as it does, but it's just a bit good old fashioned. Fuck them up, you know? Yeah. Just a, a good bleeder. People are just, just bleeding good, on stuff. Just, just a good old fashioned bleeder. Uh, well, Hey, if you want to tell us that you just finished RIP and think fuck yeah, or if you have any questions or corrections, or if you want to share your enthusiasm for anything that's happening in Batman RIP or before or after you can email Batman in quarantine at Batman in quarantine at gmail.com. We have yet to get a voice recording I would love to get that from somebody. We have gotten several emails enough that I actually, we might even have to do an email show here in the next couple of weeks uh, or a couple of days, who knows? But um, yeah, get a hold of us. We would love to see everybody. And until I guess Friday or Wednesday or whatever day the next episode will come up, it'll be a Wednesday. Um, we'll see you all there. And uh, for Batman in Quarantine, on behalf of Justin and Roman, I am Jeff, and we will see all of you in just a couple days' time. 